Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian... How are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sender at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. Joining me today is the one and only Beth Mantle. How's it going, Beth? It's it's going well. Going well. Can't complain. It's It's... The day after the Sounders tied the Rapids 1-1 on the 4th of July, and I have submitted my post-game piece, and I feel like I've been able to think about this game now, so let's just get right into the performance of this one. I'm going to ask you right off the bat, do you feel like this is a frustrating point because you dropped a point from the lead, or is it more a supporter shield point? a kind of result you get when you are, you know, just grinding results that even when you're not looking good. I think it's a big result. I think it, it's one of those that you get to the end of the season and you're like that point in Colorado really mattered. It really yeah. helped us. Um, I don't, I don't see it as you, us dropping points, even though we had a lead because the game, like we were dominating. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but it also wasn't like we were getting, completely blown out of the water which I feel like there was a potential for that with the lineup yeah I I agree I think that when the lineup I mean if you had told me first of all like to take it to zoom out a little bit if you had told me that the Sounders were going to be missing you know six or seven potential starters for half the season essentially like at least like most of these guys have been out for close to half the season we found out Will Bruin was obviously out right before this game uh, and they were going to be grinding out points. Now, I, I would say that the Vancouver game was probably points dropped, right? That was a game yeah. where they were in control. They were dominating that game, and then like they kind of fell apart for a few minutes, and then they had to claw back, and they probably still should have won. But but even that one, you can put it on the pl- missing players. You can right, be like, exactly. this is a different result if we weren't down every central right. defender that we have. Whereas this one, it's like, I think even if you're at full strength, I think – you probably take a point on the road against Colorado that, you know, the centers had lost their last two games there. Uh, you know, they've never had a ton of success in Colorado. There are examples of them winning games there. You know, you can go back to the 2016 playoffs, obviously. And that was a big result. Jordan Morris they... flu game. Exactly. And, but you know, for the most part, when the Sounders are, even when the Sounders have been reasonably good, if the Rapids are like the result oftentimes is dictated by how good the Rapids are. Right. And when the Rapids are good, they tend to win the, the games in Colorado. And when the Sounders, when they're bad, the Sounders have tended to win there. Even and when the Rapids are bad, I feel like it's never a guaranteed point. I, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I agree. And you can go all the way back, you know, to me, like the game that always sticks out in my mind, I think it was that five zero game in 2013, where they just completely felt it was like the kind of the the real symbol of that season falling apart and and I and I feel like that that's been 
that was an extreme, but I think that was sort of indicative of the kind of result, how the Sunders have struggled there. I mean, this game was at altitude. It was in heat. I want, I want to say it was like 85 or 88 degrees at kickoff. And it was at, you know, it's at 6,000 feet. This is a, this is like real altitude. This isn't like Salt Lake city stuff. And, you know, this was, this was a challenging game and they were, you know, they were down a bunch of starters. They were rolling out a new formation and for the first half, I thought that they were arguably better. And the result, I mean, and the, and the, for the halftime scoreline was not unfair. Yeah. There was also that early um, shot off the crossbar. Yes. Which if they, if they score in the fifth minute, maybe right. that's a different game. Yeah. A ball that came off like Ruiz's shoulder. Yeah. I mean, he scores goals. He does. He does. <laughs> And, you know, Rui Diaz it was a funny game for Rui Diaz because he he didn't get into a ton of dangerous spots, but he it was kind of the grindy. He was very uh, illustrative of the way the Sounders played. Like he was kind of yeah. grinding. He just found the ball. He was playing defense, just doing all the stuff that you want a designated player to be doing when the things aren't going your way. But, you know, from the beginning of the second half on to when Danny Leva came on around the 75th minute, that 30 minutes was ugly. That was, yeah. and I, and I think there was a lot of years where the result complete, like regardless of what the score line was going into that half into the second half, I think they find a way to ship a few goals in that a lot of years because that, the, like the Rapids were just coming in waves. They, they couldn't get out of their own end. Coming in waves. That's a great pun. Good job. Yeah, that was an accident, but thank you. Uh, Rapids. <laughs> coming in waves. <laughs> that was good. Thank you it for really pointing was. that out. I, I can't believe I've used that term a couple times in writing and it never even dawned on me that it was a pun. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty ugly touch and go, I think is what I would say. And, and Danny Leva, who I think it's, it's great that you, you can bring a player off the bench. Who's, you know, 18, 19 years old and he can s- help settle you down. I didn't think Atencio was bad, but they needed someone with energy. They needed someone yeah. that could just complete a few passes, break up some, you know, make some defensive plays and, and keep the ball moving around. I mean, the, it, Leva was, was an important piece in this one. And, and the fact that they're able to now be at a point where they can bring a Danny Leva off the bench and actually get something result, you know, potentially not, I guess you, he didn't re- change the result, but he was able to, you know, I mean, result. yeah, the way it was going, I think he changed yes. the impending result, which was a loss. Right. Yes. So. Very much. And because I think for the last 15, 20 minutes of the game, it was even like it, it, you know, the Sounders found it. They, they were able to complete passes. They, they didn't really look like they were going to win the game ever, No, but they didn't look like it was going to, like, if they were going to lose, it was going to be like a normal kind of result. Yeah. I, and- I think it is big that we can going back to Danny. My brain's not moved on from that. I think it's big that we can bring him off the bench and he'd be the person that settles it down. When I feel like usually you bring in a younger player and you're like, Oh, time for chaos. Right. But like, instead he was kind of the glue that kept things together, which I thought was fun. Also, he was replacing Josh who is still, I think working his way back to the form that we saw him in at the beginning of the season, because he was out for a substantial bit of time with that injury. Yeah, um, he ended up over, like yeah. two months at least, right? So I think it's big that we are relying on two kids in a midfield that has a lot of very good players in it, and they're yeah. able to kind of assert themselves onto that midfield. 
I feel and like I, the Sounders midfield has never been historically an easy place to like get it's into. Not. No, no, not at all. I totally agree with that. And uh, and along those same lines, it was interesting that Ethan Dobler was the last sub that Schmetzer used. He had two subs still if you wanted them, but uh, that never happens, right? No. Uh, nope, nope, nope. But Ethan Dobler, he, you know, he kept Freddie Montero on the bench. Uh, he he insisted it was completely a tactical decision. He just thought that Dobler gave him a little bit more. I think he just wanted energy out there. And and for whatever reason, he didn't think Freddie was going to be the guy to give him that energy. I think he had this faint hope that maybe Dobler could get in behind and just nick one at the end. But, you know, I thought Dobler was fine. Yeah. I don't think he, you know, I, he's not a game-changing talent at this point. But that he has the confidence of Schmetzer to go into a game like that, I think is huge. And this was probably, you know, one of his better performances this year. I mean, yeah. it's a little bit of a low bar, but I, I think he was he was solid. He he did what he was asked to do. It does seem like they were being very particular and very conscious of managing people's minutes on this game, yeah. especially like Jimmy. And mm-hmm. also I feel like that kind of goes into Freddie's thing. Like if we were down a goal. I think you see Freddie Montero come in, yeah. but if we're, if we're, we're level with however many minutes left to go at altitude in heat with a midweek game, when we're already low on people, I feel like leaving Freddie on the bench is a decent decision at that yeah. point. Especially if the idea is you're saving him for Wednesday. And... Which I think is important to think about because we really are getting down to like having 11 players. Like we are. Yeah, the uh, the lineups are dictated by the amount of people. The literally just whoever is available. Here's right. your position. You're the only person left who can play it. Congrats. <laughs> yeah, and luckily they've been getting decent performances out of those, Amazing. despite that that philosophy. Uh, you know, the centers are going to be losing Christian obviously after this game. So yeah. or after this last game, they lost Christian. Alex is thankfully sticking around for at least for another game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're hopeful that Nuhu and Ariaga will be back. We can get into that a little bit later. Uh, but the one I wanted to talk about is Jimmy Madranda and Brad Smith. We saw them playing together for I, the first time they started together for sure. Yeah. Uh, Madranda was effectively deployed what they were calling him as like the advanced, the second he was in an advanced midfield position. I don't know how you want to call that, but we don't need to get too deep into it. He was it, over he, there. He was over there and Brad Smith was in behind him. I thought it was a solid shift again from Jimmy Madranda. And again, I can't help but wonder if he is, I think at the very least there's, it has to be an open conversation about who the starting left back is between him and Brad Smith. Yeah. I think you've, you've pulled me into the Jimmy Madranda fan club after this game. I think I'm, I'm coming (laughs) over the dark side. Also um, now that I think about it, Pairing Brad and Jimmy on the left side feels a little bit like the new who Joven thing that yes. sometimes it works and other times it just like didn't, didn't really work super well. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give, I think Madranda is maybe a little better suited for like, I don't think new who and Jones ever Joven ever really meshed. And I could see the, at least the potential for Madranda and Smith to, to bench or to, to, to mesh. Uh, but I thought, you know, Brad Smith is is continuing to be a a, a frustrating character. I I, I don't want to say yeah. that he's bad, but he because he gets himself into good positions, but 
there's a certain kind of play that he's involved in that seems to lead to disappointment a lot. Do you want to talk to that yeah. kind of play? I think we saw him, I think it was in the second half, like twice he found himself one-on-one or one-on-two with Colorado defenders. And there weren't a lot of green shirts around him. So it was really just Brad Smith doing Brad Smith things. But doing Brad Smith things in this situation means you're running at the defender. You're running. You're going. You see the goalkeeper and you're like, "Mm, I'm going to kick the ball somewhere. That's, That's my attacking play. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't, it's frustrating. I don't love it. It isn't. Like, I, if I anyone agree. else was around him or anyone else was there, you'd be like, oh, oh, this could be something. But you don't, I just, I wasn't getting that. I wasn't being like, ah, ah, there's something coming here. It yeah, was like, ah, oh, no. And I think the other th- thing that's frustrating, I feel you on that one. There was one in particular where he took a long run up the, the field and he was one-on-one with a defender. I, and, it, and I just was glad that he didn't step on the ball and, and like kind of pull it back. I was glad to see him continuing into the attack. And of course, as soon as he shoots, like you see Raul Ruiz come into the screen. I would have loved to have been able to see that play develop a little bit more because I'm curious where, yeah. how close Ruiz was actually getting in to getting into the play. But it's, I don't know. Like he, it's a frustrating situation uh because he's not anything like a shutdown defender he's been fine i don't want to make it like the the reality is that he's been the starting left back for left wing back for a team with the best defensive record in the league so there's not like i don't want to make it out to be like he's a he's a complete mess and and it's also fair to point out that you know he's averaging a goal or assist every every other game essentially so it's like so strange to me if you if you asked me if that was like a true or false question i would definitely pick false Right. I, I agree. And because there are a lot of like, it seems like he gets himself into positions to have a lot more than that. Yeah. And the number of, of crosses that he misses is where he does all the hard work of getting himself into these dangerous positions. And, and then he just puts in a cross that has no hope. I think and, we saw him even failing to get the cross into the box yeah. in the Rapids game. Like there were a few times where it just, it didn't even make its way into the box from the touchline. And I feel like you have to at least be able to get it that far. Right. You got to be your, the first man as they yeah. say. Yeah. And he's, he's not doing that all the time. Uh, he's not doing it enough, frankly. And, you know, and his game is so predicated on working sort of like one, two combinations with, other players that he's he ends up being like defined by the player that he's able to combine with and he hasn't had great player he hasn't had a lot of opportunities to do that combination work and as a result he's he's struggled i think uh the thing i like about madranda is that he's able to do different things he's able to you know he's he's got a dangerous looking shot he can you know he's got energy He's like an energizer bunny the way that he he like kind of tracks uh, opposing runners and, and he never gives up on a play. And he, he has a lot of that just kind of like energy where he's trying to make something happen, you know, in a not a different way necessarily than Alex Roldan, Roldan's goals came from, which is just not giving up on a play, uh, you know, losing the ball, winning it back and then scoring. Yeah, I think Jimmy served the ball in on Raul's crossbar in the first I think you're right. five. So like he was getting in a good position with a good cross. And then Alex Roldan created that goal. That our point is 
Alex Roldan's point. I give it to him. He can have it. He did the work. And I just, comparing those two to the performances we've seen from Brad, it's a little bit frustrating because I feel like Brad should be a really strong feature in our lineup. Like he's one of our starters that are left. Yeah. And somehow he ends up looking like he was one of the people that they pulled off the bench that has never seen the field because he's like fifth down the depth chart, which is, I love Brad, but it's just a little frustrating. He should be one of the people that is carrying the team right now in this stretch of not having a lot of players. And I, he's not, he's not doing it. I think that's a fair way of love. He is not doing it. That said, uh, we should explain to the people out there, why was he being booed? Oh, yeah. So at first, I thought it was because Kellen Acosta tackled him. And that kind of makes sense to me because maybe they're mad that he got in Kellen Acosta's way. I don't know. <laughs> Soccer's a weird sport. That seemed right. like it made sense to me. Unwritten rule. Yeah. I feel like people do that all the time. They're like, yeah. how dare you cause someone to tackle you? Yeah. But, What'd you um, do to dessert? It was the, It yeah. was those shorts that caused you to get tackled. Yeah, um, but I was told through the great medium that is Twitter that one of the sections at Dick's Sporting Goods Park has made it a tradition to boo the left or right back that is on their side of the field, um, which I guess it makes more sense. Maybe. I don't know if it makes it better. Like, I it's guess fine. That's, that's your bit. Okay. Right. That's a right. Like, oh, it's like yelling. It's like the Atlanta United fans yelling nights during the national. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like I've heard it explained. I don't I still don't get it. But yeah. hey, if it's that's your, your prerogative, thing. go for it. I got a little bit tired of it, but <laughs> hey. MLS has some weird things that it's going in on and booing the player that's in front of you isn't one of the worst. So how do you think that compares to the jackhammer thing? I am not in love with <laughs> Columbus's new heavily marketed goal celebration i mean be- a lot of things in the league are heavily marketed but that one feels like i came up with it for one of my marketing classes where i had to like show a bunch of concepts right three yeah. it's like the three crew you do not need three people for that at least like it's the, th- each it's, of them it's a the logo hammer. it's the original it's a callback to the original logo which hasn't been used since 2013 but now they have another and another logo what why do they have so many logos? Why are they continuously rebranding is a, is a valid question. You know, so here's, I came down, I got into a little bit of a Twitter argument with someone about this. I, I don't love the jackhammer thing. I think it's hokey. It's a little cringy. I, I have no, I have no like defense for the act itself. I think it's, I, I, I'm sure if the Sounders were doing this exact thing, I would be a little like, that's a lot. Like, it feels much. Uh, I think the, you know, like I, but at the same time, I'm also sympathetic to the idea that traditions all oftentimes start out hokey and weird. Uh, you know, like if the Timbers just started sawing off rounds of wood, uh, I think, I, I mean, I do think it's hokey and cheesy, but like I, I would think it's kind of a bit much. Uh, you know, when yeah. when Nashville started pressing the record, 
I thought that was a little too, but I got to admit, I, th- I kind of like the Nashville thing. You have a the Nashville particular- thing is pretty fun. I'm also a big soccer Moses fan since I found out that he was the guitarist for a very niche Christian alternative rock band. I listened to as a young child. That, um, I don't know if you know this, but Jars of Clay actually had a bout of mainstream popularity. Okay. I looked at them on Spotify because I was like, is Jars of Clay niche? Are they niche? They have like a hundred thousand Spotify monthly listeners. Like that is, that is less lot? than like anyone else that I oh. listen to. That okay. is like a very small amount of people. And I was like, Oh, Oh no. No, no yeah, I mean, they were anymore. like they they had a, a bout of mainstream popularity, like in the early to mid 90s. Like that was like, like before I was alive. Right. I know I, I was in high school, uh, but they they had like they kind of around the same time that Seattle grungy thing was coming up. Jars of Clay kind of got somehow lumped into that scene uh, very briefly. I, I maybe only even had one kind of mainstream album hit, but. It is kind of a, I think we bring this up because I, I think the idea here is just because you're doing something that is feels forced and cheesy, it doesn't make it bad. Right. Like, like having something like whether you're booing the left back or pressing a record with the radio call or sawing off a, a thing of wood, they can all be cheesy and, and hokey, but like fans are clearly into it. And I think what we're saying or what you're saying here, if I'm, interpreting it correctly is you just really don't like the jackhammer thing i mean they took like a cinder block that like i think it already has holes in it that they got from home depot they put it on a piece of like steel or something had one person with two people looking over their shoulder and they just kind of like jackhammer it for a bit and they're like yes i did something and then i was reading more into it because i was like there has to be something more here and they're taking the pieces of concrete that they've now broken Mm -hmm. and they're going to make like a tunnel so the mm-hmm. opposing players can see remnants <laughs> of all the goals that Columbus has scored <laughs> against their opponents. Uh, and I didn't I, know that had that much to it. This feels like they looked at, at Portland and they said, how do we do what they did but make it for us? Which, again, Columbus seems like a team that prides themselves on the amount of history that they have. Yeah. And for make a new tradition and it be this, like, grasping at marketing straws it just feels in disingenuous like i you you had to have been able to come up with something better for that like the timbers you i hate i hate the whole thing but i will say that giving the players their circle of wood and then being like i have a tangible remnant of a reminder of that time i scored a goal is pretty cool that's they at least like they have something it can go on their shelf but That's does Diego cool. Verlairly have like 40 or 50 of these things just laying I around? I sure hope garage. they're in his garage or something. Yeah, like, just stacked up. But I feel like for the defender that never scores the goal, to have that little circle of wood, that's yeah. kind of cool. Like it they is. have that. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know. It it just it feels forced. And I think more teams should have weird goal celebrations. Like I think players should get more into choreographing celebrations. I am all for the the game the hokey the hokey mls stuff but this one feels like they were trying not to make it hokey which is where it falls short yeah i because they were so they feel so serious about it like when you look at it you're like this is they wanted this to be intimidating and to like inspire fear in the opponent but like yeah that's y'all are just doing basic construction tasks on a cinder block i don't (laughs) i don't get it yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I don't have anything to dispute what you said. I think you're right. I just think 
I'm a little reluctant to go too hard on on Columbus here because I I just want teams to have the freedom to like do things that are weird. Like I I think like being afraid of getting it wrong is how we end up with the frankly the crew logo right like this clean logo and i think that that's like i want to like and this is it's funny that the same marketing kind of like genesis gave us that all that crew logo which is like wrong in the exact opposite it's equally wrong but in like the opposite direction and then this other thing which is on the other extreme of like gonzo type stuff i don't know who's doing the marketing but like i really want to like book them for an informational interview as a college student that yeah. is it's studying like, marketing and be like walk me through what, this what is going on here like I need yeah. you to tell me what's going on I just I don't it feels like everything they're doing is trying to make themselves like this global brand that's like very I was gonna say accessible but it's almost making it inaccessible to existing fans and also people that like want to care about something that feels like Columbus like I don't know much about Columbus but I feel yeah. like making your brand as bland as possible isn't gonna make isn't going to make people want to fall in love with it right. I just I have a lot of bones to pick with them and I'll so I, I will say this is that they they say that like the fans and the players came up with this celebration and I think there's the possibility that this is like kind of that Simpsons car thing where like sometimes when people whose job isn't to make a thing, they end up making a really bad thing. And that's why people get paid to do a thing. Maybe they needed more of the marketing team. Right. I don't oh, know. Man, they got I, I, I agree. There's something, there's something off. There's something off. I agree with you there. Uh, but moving this, I don't have a good transition, but moving it back, moving it back to the Sounders, we did want to touch on a few more we personnel. We are not a Columbus crew podcast. <laughs> exactly. I, I did want to touch a little bit more on the this personnel situation the Sounders are dealing with right now. They are at, in this game. They had seven. They were able to dress seventeen players. Uh, that is three fewer than they're allowed to dress. I don't think they've been able to dress twenty in any game this year. I think they've only even dressed nineteen a couple times, and and they are going to lose Christian Roldan after this game. They're potentially going to get Nuhu back and potentially get Ariaga. So that might bring it back up to 18. And then they're going to lose Alex. Yeah. Which will bring it back down to 17. And that's assuming that they don't have any more injuries. Uh, they just lost Will Bruin for probably the rest of July. Uh, that's, and that's, I think, a maybe best case scenario is they only lose them for July. I This is, this is a problem. The Sounders are getting into real like danger terror you get much below 16 17 and you're you're in trouble and there's not like if they dip below that number they don't have an obvious like oh well so and so will be back any day now yeah i i mean i think it's good that we saw on twitter that steph was jogging which it maybe some false hope though the sounders were pretty quick to like don't read too much into that (laughs) okay well he's jogging and i think that's exciting i don't jog Sure, so fair. good for him, honestly. Um, we've heard nothing about Nico, which again is just some concern there. Yeah, yeah, especially because all we know is that he had an arthroscopic surgery, which I've had one. They just like go into your knee and they're like, "Hey, look, it's a knee. Hope what's going on here? What's wrong with your knee?" Right. 
but for them, for them, they're not to be like, uh, okay, this is what's, this is what's happening. Here's what we're doing. Here's where we're going. I know they wouldn't share all of that with us, but it doesn't even feel like they have that themselves. I agree. It, it feels like they're still just like, I feel like we had this with Ozzy. Did we not have this yes, problem with very, Ozzy it, it feels very, yes, it does. I hadn't thought of that, but you're yeah. right. It does feel very much like what Ozzy went through in 20. 17 or 18 yeah. whatever his last year was, was. i think it was 2017 because 2016 was where he made it through mls cup with cortisone shots and that was the only thing holding him together yeah then maybe was 2017 the year he came back in 2000 i think 17 was probably the year where well whatever either way Time there was a year where to me anymore right it, I have no whatever idea. it was there was a year where ozzy really struggled to get fit and there was a lot of real frustration and i think you know we've heard that nico is frustrated and yeah. i don't know if that's i don't know if I, I think this happens a lot with hurt players right they they expect the experts to help them get better which is an understandable thing to expect and when they don't they blame the experts for not getting them better because they feel like they're doing everything can i think victor had the same frustrations yeah uh is it? I don't know that it, the Sounders are doing anything wrong, but I no. I can understand that Nico's frustrated. Yeah, I feel like that sometimes bodies are just like that, where there's yes. something wrong, but you have you don't know what it is. Um, and I feel like that's frustrating for the Sounders, for Nico, for the staff, for us, because it's not like we're we're just biding our time until Nico comes back. Right. Like right now, I'm like, are we getting Nico back this season? I don't know. I wouldn't bet money on it. And that's not super fun. But also to think that we've gotten this far and we're like tied for the supporter shield standings after so many games. And we haven't seen Nicola Dara except for like 25 minutes is absolutely insane because any other season we would have had no points through all of these games. Like absolutely no points. I mean, you, you don't have to look, you don't have to like look that hard to see what happens to teams when they start losing players like this. I mean, you look at Toronto FC, they got four points, I think through, uh four or five points through 10 or 11 games and yeah. and their injury situation i don't think is any worse than the sounders no. and and you know they're that's what happens you know obviously they have some other mitigating circumstances but they, i think you've seen the timbers fall apart for similar reasons the t- yeah exactly there, there's a, you know you don't have to look that hard i mean a lot of teams no. are struggling to stay fit and the Sounders are the team that is handling it as well as anyone. Also, remember when the season after you went to MLS Cup used to be like terrible and a huge problem for everyone? Yes. Yeah, but I, I will say that there is, it helped this year that there was a longer break. Yeah. But I agree. But still, You're right. We're, You're right. we really should not be doing this well for a lot of reasons. Um, and so however frustrating it is that we aren't winning every single one of our games like it could easily be so much worse it could and i think about how sad we would all be if we had like five points yes i mean it would be a scary place to be there's no question about it uh but yeah this is i think the only way you can really be frustrated with the way the season is going right now is either you're only you're mainly just frustrated with all the injuries or you're like ignoring all the context to what's been going on and And sports is one of those things that you cannot decontextualize no like it loses all of its meaning it loses all of its emotion if you put it in a vacuum right yeah exactly i mean and that's what's been you know it's it's been a really you know i'm i'm still very optimistic about this team because they keep kind of figuring out new ways to get results 
And this was a, this week was a, a good example of, of finding a new way to get results. I think that's interesting because Matt Doyle, I think that's who it was in his column was like, people have figured out the sounders. Yeah. I don't and know I think that. it's, I think it's more interesting to say that the sounders are figuring out new ways to be the sounders. Right. Because we, I, we're getting a, a lot of curveballs thrown at us. I, I totally agree. And I, I think it's a little disingenuous to say that the sounder that teams have figured out the sounders when it's like apparently figuring out the sounders is like attack them wide when they're missing new who. And it's like, well, yeah, you take out the best wide defender and, and that's not that big of a mystery that you can. And by the way, how much, how many goals have they given up through this method? They've given up two, if you can maybe argue three, uh, but it's not like they are suddenly falling apart. So I'm no. a little skeptical of this idea that teams have figured out the Sounders, especially when I don't know that the Sounders have figured out how, like what they are, frankly, like, and that's, a, I think like, that's a testament to Brad Schmetzer's Seattle Sounders, because the one thing that has held them together through this season is that they know who they are in the locker room. They know right. who they are as a team. So they may not know who is going to be playing in any of their positions. Right. A very, in a very literal people, sense. Yeah. But like, they know what's expected of them and they know, right how to play together and how to like be a team together and that's that's like the one thing that you could ask for and I don't think you would get it with many teams in the league but like that's the one thing you would ask for for a team that's like going through a difficult time with like losing players everywhere is that they they still like have that core essence of who they are and yeah, I think and that's a, that's a big deal that we I still think have is, that I agree. And I, I guess I should rephrase what I, my, it wasn't that the Sounders don't know who they are. It's not, it's that they don't know tactically what yes. they're going to be ultimately, because I think they have are missing so many pieces that it's hard to say, this is the way that the Sounders are going to break you down because I don't know that the Sounders exactly know how that's going to be. It's an evolving thing and they kind of figure it out every week and they figure out new ways to get results. And you know, Houston's going to be a, a good test for them. I, I think it's another game where they really need – it would be great if they could get these three points because I think it would, you know, relieve a little bit of pressure going into the Gold Cup break and, and you know, getting that 13th – becoming the first team in MLS history to go 13 – start the season with 13 unbeaten would be a pretty cool little feather in the cap. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't for a second think that that is somehow a crowning achievement. I think that we in the media have probably made a lot more out of that than the Sounders. I mean, especially if you go back and you look at what did those teams do? You know, the last team that that won 12 in a row or that went 12 unbeaten was RSL in 2014. And I don't know if you remember this, but the Sounders were the team that beat them. And at the time, the Sounders were ahead of them in the standings. Uh, for some reason, RSL had played fewer games also. But uh, that team did not do anything in the playoffs. And so it's like being first place through 13 weeks is not a thing that teams care about. Right. But it is, I mean, it would be a cool achievement. And I think more than that, it's like, how are they getting these results? What are they, what are we learning about this team every week? What are they learning? You know? And I think that we're, we're getting answers to those questions every week. I think there's a lot of little victories that are coming out of the unbeaten streak. That's, that's yes. bigger than the number of games that we've gone without a loss. Mm -hmm. But I think I think we are taking a lot of things from this stretch, and that's that's the good part. And I and I think that 
it would be a little different if there were a bunch of games in this streak where you go, oh, wow, they were really lucky to get a point in that one. And I think it's a testament to them that you can look at all these results. And I don't know, like you could argue that they were outplayed badly for 30 minutes, let's say in the Rapids game. But I don't think you could look at that game and on the whole say they were lucky to get a point because I think they earned that point. They they were rightfully in the lead and then they were they rightfully were able to close it out. And, and I think that's, it's a testament to them that you can look at all 12 of those results and say like, eh, you know, like that LAFC tie early in the season, they probably could have won that game. Uh, I don't think any of their wins are wins that were cheap wins, except for like maybe the San Jose win was a little on the, like that could have gone another way, but I think they learned something in that game. And then you look at all the other ties were a bunch of ties at home, all of which are frustrating ties. And I think that that says more about, how this team is playing than the 13 or the 12 unbeaten. There, there was a lot of hard work in, right. in the streak. It yes. wasn't like the Sounders should have won more of these games or the Sounders should have lost more of these games, but something happened. The Sounders were really in control of their destiny, I feel like, for the most part in these yeah. games. like They worked to make it to 12 unbeaten. They've put in the work. There wasn't a lot of have. hold on to your butts memes being thrown around no at least, pre, at least a lot of maybe pre-game a lot of people saying that when the lineup came out but yeah it hasn't been that way but i think that's probably a good place to to end this one one reminder is oh, yeah. the transfer window opens oh god i forgot to get into that one on the 7th on wednesday on wednesday yeah so i've been working my sources uh trying to figure out if what to expect the closest thing I've gotten is that the Sounders have internally talked about Victor Rodriguez. I don't, and I've, I've heard that Victor may actually be more open to returning now than he was when, uh, than when he left. So mm. I don't, I wouldn't close the door on that one. And I've been told the Sounders are working on some other deals and they're trying to get it done as soon as they can. I, Brian has indicated that he is ready to have some, he some is players. He's yes, ready he to has. be able to train with a full team of players. He, um, there, there was yeah. some real frustration there when we asked him about that. And he, you know, he's oftentimes not someone who's going to use whatever excuse is handy. And he definitely wasn't using it as an excuse, but he was making it very clear that he's kind of tired of using a short roster. Yeah. I do think that if they can get, I, from what I've heard on the internet, people think that we could get one of the young, what is it called now? Young, U22 players, U22, young money. Young money, U22 initiative. They need a yeah. better name for that. Right. Um, maybe they should ask Columbus's marketing team to help. <laughs> so we can potentially bring in one of those players. Yes. And also a TAM player maybe? Yeah, yeah. that's my understanding is they have room to add both those things. If you bring in both of those players, it immediately makes the team better. And this is a team that is currently kind of in the lead for the supporter shield yeah you bring in those two players they make an impact you get back some of your injured players what the sounders historically I see the equation you're historically at the end of the season have been on fire anyways but yeah. if you you bring in these new pieces you get your other players healthy you're able to maintain the rest of the health of the group i think we might be really good still I, I, I think you might be right. I, I think there's a good chance of that. 
So, I mean, that's a bit of hope from a point yeah. weekend. Yeah, exactly. If you really needed hope after that yeah. weekend, I think that's a good way to look at it. But uh, that's a, that's probably a good place to call probably. us. Uh, Beth, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with me. You were yeah. a joy as always. Uh, I am Jeremiah Shan signing off for Beth Mantle. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast, and we will catch you next time.